Hello, and welcome to Foreign Affairs Inbox, the entirely student-run and student-produced podcast of the Elliott School of International Affairs at the George Washington University. We're your producers, Taylor Galgano and Emma Anderson, two women who will soon graduate from their respective international affairs and global communications programs. But nonetheless, believe that they are the most qualified people you could ever find to present you with a cross-cutting look on the latest trending global matters. Each month, a different student host will bring you a new expert to unpack the hashtags you see in your news feeds. Inspired? Curious? Want to hear us chat about a topic you're interested in? Slide into our DMs at Elliott School GW on Twitter or Instagram. We're literally always on our phones, perusing for new content, so we will absolutely reply. I'm your host, Brian Carl, and in this episode of the Foreign Affairs Inbox, we will discuss the ongoing trade war between the United States and China. Today, we are joined with Chad Bowne, a Reginald Jones Senior Fellow at the Peterson Institute for International Economics and a fellow podcaster known for his Trade Talks podcast. To start us off for this episode today, would you mind giving us a brief summary of how the U.S. and China met at this critical juncture and how current administration policy is influencing the event? This has been a source of ongoing tension between the Trump administration and China for a while now. It really got going, I guess, probably back in March of 2018. At that stage, the Trump administration released a report alleging that China was engaged in all sorts of unfair trade practices involving theft of intellectual property, a little bit on things like subsidies and state-owned enterprises, and at that stage saying that it was going to impose tariffs. They followed through with the imposition of those tariffs. Maybe they thought at that moment in time that that China would just kind of acquiesce and fix things, but that certainly hasn't turned out to be the case. China has retaliated with its own tariffs, and they've gone back and forth on this now for you know almost a year and a half, escalating with round after round of tariffs. And we're now at the stage where the Trump administration has announced that they're basically going to impose tariffs on everything that Americans buy from China. And China has said that it's going to retaliate by imposing tariffs on about 70% of the stuff that it buys from the United States. So it's been going on for a long time, and it's now tariffs affecting a whole lot of trade between these two countries. So have these tariffs had any effect? Have they brought China any economic hardship? And possibly even have they brought the U.S. any hardship? I think there's a couple of ways to to look at that question, uh, and we're not sure yet what the answer is. I think inevitably the answer is yes. So tariffs are going to be costly to both the United States and to China. How costly relative to other problems out there in in the economy, I think, is not something we can determine in real time. In the Chinese economy right now, they're undergoing a number of areas of difficulty. One is simply they've had to change the form of their economy over the last five or six years or so. And this was sort of a deliberate change. They had been growing for 20 or 30 years through a model of export-led growth that was really driving their, their approach. And over the last couple of years, it just became more natural as they got richer to shift away from doing as much of that and more toward their own domestic consumption. But that meant that they would have to take on some changes and their growth would slow down and they would have some challenges during that transition. And then we've seen some of that happen. But I think that's part of the natural bit. But it's hard to disentangle some of that, what's natural, with the negative effects of not being able to export as much to the United States now because of these U.S. tariffs. On the U.S. side, it would be false to say that we're you know, suddenly close to a recession or anything like that because of the tariffs. We are starting to see, I think, some evidence that they're having an effect. There have been a couple of very careful 
economic research studies to look at the impact of how they're showing up in, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. data. And we're seeing that there are increases in prices, that the companies especially that are buying these goods from China are having to pay in order to be able to access them. So there are going to be negative effects on the U.S. economy. But so far, it hasn't really shown up in terms of the overall impact on, you know, say, unemployment or, or something like that. Part of that is because the big increases of the tariffs are only very, very recent. So the biggest increase only happened in June of 2019. Okay. And the data really isn't in yet to say what's happened since then. And the really big tariff increases are the ones that are still to come, the ones that are coming on in September and October mm-hmm. and November. So I think the worst is still ahead of us on that score. Now, to look at a specific point of rhetoric by the current administration, the U.S. Treasury designated China as a currency manipulator this August. And essentially, what does that mean? And what threats or basically what does that mean about China? That's a very challenging question because we have to think about whether we're referring to it under U.S. law Mm -hmm. or what the president has said. So let's first define what currency manipulation is under U.S. law. And essentially, under U.S. law, the Treasury can name a country to be a manipulator of its currency if it's intervening a a lot in foreign exchange markets. So what a country like China would be doing would be buying a lot of U.S. dollar-denominated assets, so Treasury bills, say. Mm -hmm. And the purpose for doing that would be to keep the value of its own currency relatively low, helping out its exporters, making it easier for them to be able to export into the U.S. market. So lots of government intervention combined with running what's called a trade surplus. China would be running a trade surplus with the United States under U.S. law, but also with the world. So exporting much more to the world than it's importing from the world. And then also a bilateral surplus with the United States as well. And in the current timing. So over the last couple of years, China really hasn't been doing that at all. Mm. China was doing this quite intensively back in the mid-2000s. But as of you know two or three years ago, they really stopped intervening in, in currency markets in order to keep the value of their currency low. They now almost have balanced trade with the world at large. They still have a trade surplus with the United States. But even the legal criteria in the United States law, China wouldn't satisfy this. So that doesn't mean the Trump administration didn't still name them a currency manipulator. They did, but they weren't really satisfying the criteria that are there under U.S. law when they made that designation. Now that surplus has been of much debate, currently it stands around $400 billion. And essentially, is that something that threatens U.S. national security, threatens the U.S. economy, or is it more benign? Is it a natural occurrence? So the fact that China has a trade surplus with the United States right now. So they export more to the United States than we export back to them or that they import from us isn't necessarily a problem in and of itself. There's no reason economically why any two countries in the world out there need to have balanced trade. The pattern of trade, what countries and how much countries send back and forth to each other is going to depend on a lot of different things, including their level of economic development. The United States, we tend to be very good at producing very sophisticated products, which China, as a country that's not nearly as rich as we are, their consumers might not necessarily buy, their businesses might not necessarily buy. We tend to be very good producers and exporters of services. 
and China might not be at the level of economic development yet that it's buying a lot of those. So it's not necessarily indicative that just because you're running a trade deficit or a trade surplus between two countries that there's a problem there. The fact that the United States tends to run a trade deficit with the world that could be a problem. That could be okay. symptomatic of, of something else. And that is something that the United States has been doing for a long period of time. Politically, it's come up as an issue just because so much of the overall trade deficit that we have with the world is with China. And so China tends to get singled out in that space. This isn't to say that there aren't problems in the U.S.-China economic relationship. It's just that the bilateral trade and balance at this moment in time probably isn't the key one to be focusing on, at least for economic reasons. If the current trade deficit poses no national security threat to the U.S., then what other reasons may there be for these tariffs to be imposed? There's a couple of different ways to answer that question. I think, you know, by and large, the challenges that the United States has with China that go beyond the trade deficit have to do more with the structure of the Chinese economy and whether China, which is not a market economy like we have in the United States, it's, mm. it's what's referred to as a non-market economy, meaning there's a lot of government intervention, industrial planning, you know, these five-year plans where they direct certain industries to grow and have resources be dedicated to them. They have a lot of state-owned enterprises where the government effectively owns companies uh, and doesn't allow them to go bankrupt if, if they do badly. It doesn't allow workers to get laid off uh, if companies are doing badly. It's a very different economic system that we have in the United States and in countries around the world, in Europe and Japan as well. There's a big question out there how easy it is for those different types of economies to get along harmoniously in a trading system. Mm-hmm. There was you know, kind of the expectation that when China opened up and became a member of the trading system and joined what's known as the World Trade Organization, the WTO, back in 2001, that it was going to become more market-oriented. It was going to become a bit more like the United States or Europe or Japan. And it did, and it has, but I think part of the questions and problems is it didn't go far enough and certainly hasn't gone fast enough. And so some of the challenges that we have that are real between the United States and China today are just the different forms of our different economies and and how it is that they compete or or don't compete fairly with one another. How would those challenges be resolved in the World Trade Organization's dispute system versus how they are currently being solved with the bilateral tariffs? Under the WTO, the World Trade Organization, it has a dispute settlement procedure. Mm -hmm. So first of all, it has rules that basically say, you know, you're not allowed to subsidize in ways that distort trade or that hurt the economic activity of trading partners. If a country does that, so suppose you thought that China was engaging unfairly, they were subsidizing some industries too heavily, maybe steel or aluminum, something like that, you could file a trade dispute against them at the WTO. WTO has... A process set up, you know, where it's an impartial third party that sort of would examine the evidence that's being presented on both sides and gives a ruling. And so the way that this has been done historically is when the United States had problems with a country like China, it would file disputes, it would make its legal case, it would typically win the disputes. And then what happens is you can be authorized to retaliate. You can be authorized by the system to impose tariffs if China doesn't make the changes that the WTO rules would require. In most all of the instances in which disputes against China have been brought in the past, China agreed to make the changes that the WTO said that it should. It kind of had lived up to at least the rulings. 
The Trump administration has obviously taken a very different approach. They've of chosen course, yeah. not to file disputes at the WTO. Instead, they have just said, you know, we're going to impose tariffs. We want you to make these changes. We're not going to get some third party to rule on the fact that you, we think you're breaking the rules. We're just going to impose tariffs on you until you make changes that we want you to make. Now, given that rift, or as you would say, decoupling, how has the international economy as a whole lasted in the midst of this conflict? So far, the global economy is holding together. I think that there is a really big question about whether ultimately the end result of all of this will be what's being referred to as decoupling, kind of the severing of the economic relationship between the United States and China. Right now, it's not only the fact that we import and we export a lot to and from each other, that we have a lot of trade with each other. In China, there are a tremendous number of American multinational companies that are making products there to sell to 1.4 billion Chinese consumers. Whether you're talking about General Motors, uh, building and selling cars in China, they now sell more cars in China, they build more cars in China than they sell in the United States, yeah. or Starbucks, or just this week, Costco opened up a, a store uh, in China. Right? These are all American headquartered multinational companies. And what's unclear as to what's going to happen out of all of this and some of the sense coming out of the Trump administration is they're interested in this question of decoupling. They don't like the fact that these American companies are operating in China and they want them to leave. We haven't seen that happen extensively yet, but there's a sense that some of the administration, that's what the end goal of all of these tariffs are, to make it so difficult for some of these American companies that might be doing things in China to sell goods back to the United States to have them kind of rethink whether they're there at all. Would you say that decoupling may have some benefits in areas such as national security? As we saw earlier this year, companies like Huawei are exporting their 5G technology and the Trump administration and many European nations were very hasty to allow that technology to enter their markets as they were afraid that the Chinese government may use that to spy on them or to conduct espionage, essentially. I mean, I do think the relationship between, you know, some of the trade issues and, and national security issues is increasingly there. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how the Trump administration's approach on these issues is necessarily going to play itself out. And so let's think through a number of possible scenarios here. So suppose you are concerned about technologies getting into third countries, how is a tariff that the United States imposes on China going to stop that from happening? I'm not sure. In and of itself, it doesn't seem to me that there's an obvious way that that would make it stop happening. I mean, I suppose if part of what's happening is you're through other things that they're doing, not the tariffs, but export controls, you're not allowing American companies to be able to provide some of the key components the semiconductors, the inputs that these technology companies need to be able to build the infrastructure and the backbone for their networks, that might stop it from spreading. But beyond that, unless you're somehow going to go out into these third countries and say, you may no longer purchase these pieces of equipment from company X, Y, or Z, I don't know how this is all going to work. And that's one of the things that, at least as of right now, at least with respect to China, the Trump administration really hasn't fully thought through as a strategy. Right? They have a bilateral strategy mm -hmm. with China, which is tariffs, but they haven't engaged with allies 
to get them all on the same page to do things collectively with respect to China. In fact, in many respects, they're doing the opposite. They're making allies upset by imposing tariffs on allies as well, threatening tariffs on them, putting sanctions or perhaps secondary sanctions on them for other reasons. This is a really, I think, a really important question, but I haven't fully understood what the Trump administration's ultimate approach to addressing it might actually be. When people mention and think of decoupling, what exactly are they referring to? I think we don't know. In theory, this is somehow the severing of the economic relationship between the United States and China. But what that would mean in practice is really, really hard. Right now, you know, we no longer live in a world where we just trade, you know, something completely made from start to finish in the United States for something made from start to finish in China. If you take the iPhone, for example, Mm -hmm. that we buy as Americans that's assembled in China, the iPhone is, you know, parts and components, whether you're talking about the semiconductors or the screen or the microphone, the audio elements to it, all these parts and components that come from countries nearby to China. So they're coming from Japan, Taiwan, South Korea. They're all imported into China and then assembled. The concept of the iPhone, obviously, is an American concept, Apple, that comes out of California. If you were to cut that off, what would that mean, right? Where where would the iPhone be produced if it's not going to be produced in China? Where would all of those parts then get assembled? So that's just one example. If you start to think about... Obviously, what Americans export to China, what decoupling means, we've already seen some evidence of this during the trade war. We sell a lot of agricultural products to China, soybeans, that are no longer going to China. What does decoupling mean for, for the American farmers? There hasn't been huge markets opening up for their soybeans elsewhere in the world. So I don't think, certainly the administration hasn't made clear what decoupling as an actual economic concept would actually mean and what the full implications would be, I think, for the United States, for China, and then for third countries as well. The Obama administration had more of a multilateral approach, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Would this have allowed the U.S. to meet their national security goals while still ensuring free trade? So first, maybe a word on, I think, what their strategy was. So this Trans-Pacific Partnership of the TPP was a trade agreement that the Obama administration had negotiated with 11 other countries around the Pacific and Asia area, included, you know, Japan and Singapore, Vietnam. So a lot of countries that are kind of up close and near China. It also included Canada and Mexico, so countries right here nearby as well. The point of that agreement, at least economically, was to create a new set of rules that really envisioned how the United States has traditionally thought about trade, so the market-oriented approach to trade. China wasn't going to be a part of that deal, at least initially, but the rules would be written down and it would contain elements that China was going to want to be part of that deal. This is the idea behind it. China was going to want to be a part of that deal, but in order for it to get in, it would have to take on these economic reforms that the United States was so worried about. It would have to become more market-oriented. It would have to get rid of a lot of these subsidies and scale back their state-owned enterprises, start protecting their intellectual property better. At least that was the idea behind it. If China had gone in that direction, I think that would have definitely been easier for the United States and China to get along in economic terms. Then there comes the question of, well, if you're getting along relatively well in economic terms, so there isn't this tension or conflict there, What does that mean for national security? I don't know. 
I don't think we necessarily have great evidence that these things are highly related versus completely separable. I'm an economist, and so I can speak to what I understand about the economics of all of this. But when it comes to national security, there are other experts out there that can probably speak to that a little bit better than I can. Going on with the bilateral tariffs, have the manufacturing and technological sectors in both the U.S. and China had to adjust their operations, or are they still where they were two years ago? I think it's going to take time for a lot of these companies to make their ultimate adjustments to what this is going to mean. First of all, I I think they're not clear yet as to what the end game of all of this tension is. And Mm -hmm. if this is is the new normal, if the tariffs are the long-term relationship between the United States and China, in which case maybe it's not feasible to trade and to have their supply chains set up in the way that they've developed over the last 15 or 20 years, if that's going to be the case, then they're going to have to move things around. But I think the secondary question that they're facing is, even if they are going to have to move things around, because this is the new normal between the United States and China, where do they move them to? And I think one of the questions that they're asking themselves right now is, how serious is President Trump and the Trump administration with protectionism? Is it limited to China? At various points in time, President Trump has tweeted about how it would be great for American companies to leave China and to go you know, to third countries would be okay. You'd prefer they come back to the United States, but to go to third countries would mm-hmm. be okay. But then in subsequent statements or tweets, he's put that into question and threatened to impose tariffs on those countries as well. So if you're a company saying, well, we need to move our supply chain because of these tariffs with China, we now have to uh, put it somewhere else, there is a really big question as to where you ultimately put that. The threat of tariffs, the economic conditions about new locations, the infrastructure, how easy is it to you know, get new inputs or to trade from that country or from that other part of the world? I think these are longer-term questions that are only going to take probably a couple of years before they fully play out. And do you personally believe that the Trump administration is seeing the own fallout of their tariffs? Most recently, they moved back their most recent tariffs to December 17th, I believe, in order to not hurt the market when it came to Christmas shopping? So they did structure their implementation of these next rounds of tariffs in a way that makes you think that they've recognized that there are going to be costs to the American consumers of these tariffs. So the big set of tariffs that are still coming on in December, those are tariffs that are going to hit a lot of consumer goods that are typically bought by Americans for the holiday season. So, you know, right after Thanksgiving, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, you go out and you buy, you know, your video consoles or the iPhone that you're going to give to somebody for the holidays. All of those products, the tariffs on those that are forthcoming were moved to December. And that's after when all the imports of those things tend to hit the docks in the United States. They tend to come in in October in order to get to store shelves in time so Americans can buy them. So by the Trump administration moving that to December, you can interpret as, yeah, they're recognizing that these are going to be costly for American consumers. But of course, this is very different from what the president has said publicly throughout the trade war, where he's said that, no, 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 the tariffs that I'm imposing, China is paying the cost of these tariffs. It's not the American consumers. I think the movement to December of of those tariffs maybe suggests that even he might not believe that. Given this unpredictability in the market, Where do you think things are going, and do you think that times will be better or worse? 
Well, I think one of the things that I've learned through all of this is to not even attempt to predict or forecast what the Trump administration is going to do on, on trade policy. I don't think we still understand what their objectives are, what they're trying to accomplish. And President Trump has you know, either changed his mind or reversed course on various decisions that it seems kind of a fool's errand to, to actually predict. So I don't have a good sense for how this is all going to play out. So the answer that I typically give is listen to my podcast, Trade Talks, uh-huh. where we'll keep on covering the everyday comings and goings of the trade war. Thank you, Chad, for joining us today. And we had a great discussion. Thanks for having me. Like what you've heard? Don't forget to follow us on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, and most importantly, link your friends. I'm Emma Anderson. And I'm Terry Algano. And thank you for tuning in to this month's episode. 